Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to, to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome back to the Hilo Sports Podcast. We are roughly 24 to 48 hours away from the start of NFL training camps. Several rookies have already reported, and the veterans should be coming in this week. I'm DJ, joined by Kelsey. And Kelsey, this is kind of what we've been waiting for since the draft, to see these rookies in action and some live game action coming up as well. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm definitely excited. It's, it's always weird when it's not football season. You know, you just kind of, you're just waiting for something to happen every weekend. And lo and behold, it doesn't happen because there's no football. Um, so it's, it is an exciting time. Um, you know, a lot of great rookies to look forward to. Hopefully they don't they pan out and they don't fizzle out. You know, we see a lot of it, especially the young kids nowadays. The three-year gap, basically, average NFL career, three years. So a lot of these guys we probably won't, probably won't work out, like you said, but hopefully we can see some of them explode onto the scene like we saw a lot of last year. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we got a couple guys. We, we got like Kyler Murray, obviously, the big one. We, everybody's been talking about him since even before the draft. Is he tall enough? Is his size going to be an issue? Um, does his athleticism translate, which is a stupid question if you ask me. I mean, athletes are athletes. They don't change their ability to be an athlete just by stepping up a level. But I do understand the size comparisons. And, you know, he's, he's definitely a big question for whether he'll pan out or not. I don't know. What's your opinion on him? I'm curious to see not only does the size matter, but 
how does he read defenses when you're in college, especially in that offense at Oklahoma that's very, very quarterback-friendly? I mean, back-to-back Heisman-winning quarterbacks. Is he able to read the whole field? Is he able to section off piece by piece going from left third, center third, right third? Can he make quick, snappy reads that are, oh, first guy's gone, that means this one's open? Can he do that? Because he didn't have to do that a lot at OU. There's no doubting his ability to throw the football. He can throw it on a line 50 yards, 60 yards. He has touch. He has the ability to throw the football. But I want to see, can he, like, quote-unquote quarterback in the NFL? He was talent-loaded there when he was at Oklahoma. Probably one of the top two to four most talented teams in the country. He was, minus the Alabama game, he probably didn't play a team with more talent. Now that he's on this Arizona team that's completely retooling, that is not going to be the case. He is going to have to run for his life. So my questions with him are kind of the same as a lot of other quote-unquote skeptics. Does his size, does that a problem? Can he read defenses? Can he stay healthy, which kind of correlates with the size? And what you said about his athletic ability, he is definitely probably the best athlete or quarterback we've seen since Michael Vick. My question is, can he shake the NFL defenders the way he's able to shake college defenders? I mean, we saw in that Texas game, oh, third and long, 80-yard touchdown run. Is he able to do that necessarily in the NFL? Can he shake out of that when he's behind the line? In a straight line speed, I'm not, I don't trust very many people to catch him. I mean, very few defenders like a Patrick Peterson type guy can maybe catch him, but... I don't want my linebackers having to catch him from behind, like you said. He's going to be a phenomenal athlete regardless. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, you mentioned that quarterback-friendly offense and the two back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners. Soon to be three, Jalen Hurts. Looking yeah, two. I mean, Jalen Hurts has that opportunity to make it three, and we'll get to him later on in the year. But, you know, uh, my, my question is, is we saw Baker succeed really, really well last season. I mean, what, offensive rookie of the year, right? No, it's safe or, he, it, or right. second in voting, so broke the record for rookie touchdown passes, and you know Baker's so. fantastic. Not trying to take anything away from him with that offense, just saying like we've seen two different opposite style quarterbacks really succeed in it. And that's the question though: is it was that the Baker effect, or is it the Oklahoma effect on both quarterbacks? You know, was is Baker just that good, and he was able to avoid the Oklahoma effect, or are these guys just true and true passers? That's my you know. So my big question with Kyler is, is can he hit the kind of open guy? Because you talk about the windows in the NFL, it's like we're talking a square that's one foot by one foot, if that. You're lucky to have that big of a gap. And we saw it with guys like, you know, strong-arm guys like Josh Allen last season. He's always been questionable accuracy-wise, but even Cam Newton not being able to fit in those tight passes. And so, you know, they saw him in college be able to do it because the guys, were when they're open, they're you got a five- to six-foot window, not a, a one-foot square to try to fit it into. And a lot of these bigger college guys, like they have the best receivers and the, they have the best receivers in the country they're throwing to. So even when you're quote unquote throwing them open, they're just gonna get open regardless too. Yeah. So that's you know that's my biggest question with him is is his accuracy does it translate? Um, and that's that's I feel like honestly the height thing, yeah, that could be an issue. I can definitely I get why a guy that could be five foot eight would would be questioned behind a lineman who's probably six five to six six yeah, yeah. his average height in lineman is like six two. 6'3", I mean, if he's lucky, they're that short. So maybe he learns a couple things from Drew Brees, watching Drew Brees' film. You, you see when he throws, he's kind of angled backwards to get over the line. So uh, you, you, I don't know. I think his size won't be as much of a hamper as, as it will be his accuracy. Because we, we both talked about it during the Alabama game. It just – he yeah, didn't look moments. accurate at all. Like, he could not throw somebody open in that game at all. So and, – and, yeah, he did have his moment that – 50-yard bomb downfield off of one leg. That was insane, but that's just an athletic freak being his athletic freakness. 
there's no one doubting his ability to throw the football, which is why I think a lot of people that question his critics say like, oh, well, how could he do this? How could he do that? No one's, it's the same thing with RG3. No one is doubting their ability to throw the football. It's the other things that make a quarterback in the NFL succeed. Tom Brady's a pretty average to above average thrower of the football when you look at, it, look at it on paper. He doesn't have a rocket arm. He's not really fantastic. He's not throwing it through a pinhole. He's not like Aaron Rodgers who could throw 80 yards. 15 feet in the air so it doesn't even float it's a bullet 80 <laughs> yards that they all guys in the nfl can throw the football we're talking about read guys open see the defense anticipate people open because you look at guys like drew Brees, you mentioned peyton manning's entire career andrew luck we saw a little bit of this after his shoulder surgery while his arm was getting back a lot and tom brady another example they don't rocket guys open. They anticipate them open. They throw it seconds before they're even open. Oh, I mean, they throw Phil, that 12-yard comeback at six and a half yards. Phil Rivers. Phil Rivers is on. His, he put on a showcase last season. I mean, he was throwing like Terrell Williams 10, 10 feet before he makes his break. He's throwing the ball already because he doesn't always. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He has that weird motion that does take take some time. So I mean, Phil Rivers is another guy that like if you're a young quarterback or you're somebody like Kyler, you're trying to work on that. Pull out his film too. I mean, that's. Timing is everything in the NFL. And, you know, a lot of the guys that actually do succeed aren't the best rocket arm guys either. So, uh, very rarely do you see like a John Elway who has all who checks every single box, box including the athletic box and the mental box. And going back to Baker, tying it back into Kyler Murray, Baker has the best fundamentals in the league when it comes to using his entire body to throw a good pass, using his legs to generate arm strength, falling through, finishing in the holster, is what it's called when basically you're throwing arm finishes in your left hip. We talked about this a little bit in a previous podcast, and I think that's where they differ because they both come from the system, phenomenal numbers. I think Baker is a naturally gifted passer who can kind of move a little bit, and people compared him to Johnny Football with his shenanigans, but he's not really a Johnny Football type player at all. Where Kyler Murray's, he's obviously not Johnny Football. He doesn't have all the issues, yeah. but he's more of that athletic quarterback who has a pretty good arm, but we have it. I want to see how well he throws people open, too. That's just my biggest question with him. As with all young quarterbacks, it's not just, oh, I'm picking on Kyler because he's the first overall pick and he's different. No, it's the same thing with every quarterback. Both the both the Joshes last year, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, who we kind of saw where that hindered him, especially in the, the against those good teams like that playoff game against the Chargers. He couldn't really throw people open. He had to have a wide-open target, more or less. Or it had to be very clear he's going to be open right here. Exactly, yeah. Definitely. And then another big one, we, you know, everybody's talking about him. Uh, you got um, Ed Oliver from Buffalo, defensive end, projected number one, oh, number one best player going into, the, going into the draft, fell off coming into the draft, you know, the uh, pre-draft rankings and just those last couple of weeks, those, those fell workouts. Fell off all the way to number eight. Oh, yeah, like. yeah, exactly. He <laughs> fell off all the way to number eight to Buffalo. Like, oh no, how terrible. Like, you just got passed by arguably the most historic quarterback to ever play. And Kyler Murray just, I mean, what he did in one season was crazy. So, yeah, no, Ed Oliver is one, another one. I mean, can he actually succeed? Can the skills that we saw on the field in Houston, at University of Houston, can that translate to the NFL? And even bigger question would be, like, you got Mario Williams as a former number, you know, top overall draft pick, too, it, that built just like Ed Oliver, had kind of the same skill set. Is he going to be another Mario Williams? Or does he actually play up to his abilities and they talk a lot about ed oliver like oh is he aaron donald too because a smaller defensive tackle built on speed that sort of thing when i look at him i don't really see aaron donald they don't really play the same i thought he reminded me a lot more of a gerald mccoy as a technique the way he uses technique the way bull rushes 
the way he kind of just slithers through people, like Aaron Donald just is a freak of nature and does everything perfectly. To compare anyone to Aaron Donald, even comparing to Gerald McCoy is not fair. But I thought their games were a lot more similar, so I can't see him being a bust. I don't know if he'll be a perennial all-pro Warren Sapp type guy, but I just can't. he seemed like a very safe can't-miss prospect, kind of like what Quentin Nelson was last year, a guy who he may not be an all-pro, but he's not going to be a bust by any means. So I think Buffalo did a smart thing in drafting him there. They were retooling. They got their young quarterback. They're basically getting out with the old, in with the new. That's a good starting piece for your young defense. That's a building from the inside out. That's a really good pick for them. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's, I do, I did bring, raise the question of Mario Williams, but that's because we just see it with Buffalo so many times. Like, guys get drafted by Buffalo, and they're like, oh, no, Buffalo. Like, And even Mario Williams getting drafted by Houston then going to Buffalo. It's yeah. Like, he had his moments, but he – Mario Williams never quite – he was always really good, but he was never that freak he was touted to be. Yeah, he was yeah, – honestly, I don't think he was deserving of that number one pick that year, but that was a year that – who was going to be your – he was he was like number one pick by de facto pick. It's just – It's either him or Reggie Bush, and I don't think he used to want Reggie Bush. Yeah, no, he didn't fit their system. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I, there's a lot of positives with that, Oliver. It's whether he can kind of fine-tune some of those – more technical skills on defensive line. Can he can he shed a blocker really well? We, we saw some some issues with it in his senior year at Houston. I mean, he would get double teamed or even just by, mauled by a really big guard, like tackle and guard, and he just couldn't get off of him. So, I mean, can he can he succeed in the NFL? Can he fine tune those those technical abilities? You know, he has a long arm reach. It's that's not the question. It's it's whether he can get get him off of him. Can he disengage? Yeah, when he gets engaged by a bigger guy because. It's the same thing with Aaron Donald. Like we see them when they can athletic their way around someone or use their quick hands, easy peasy. They will they will basically outbox any offensive lineman more often than not, and then they will use their feet to carry behind it. Question yeah. is, if he gets locked up, can he stand his ground and use his hands to get off? And mostly in the run game is what I look at too. Like if they're starting to drive you, can you at least just hold your ground? You don't have to make the tackle. You just can't get destroyed and pa- so they can pass to the second level. You keep your guy occupied. Basically, can he learn to be do what Jadavian Clowney does on the run? Like not the level Jadavian Clowney does. But that's one thing we both talked about on, with, with Clowney that he's just so good at. His, his run pursuit is second to none. I mean, he's just so good at it. It doesn't make sense. But he's got the long arm of the law there. I mean, he can just kind of do whatever he wants with his predator arms. And, exactly. So. And then a, guys who, a team that didn't draft Ed Oliver that is on the hot seat there, actually going to be on hard knocks as well, too, is the Raiders. Three first-round picks. You traded away Amari Cooper, top 10 receiver in the league, depending on how you look at Cleo Mack top three defensive player in the league. I think he's the second best defensive player in the league. Maybe even number one. I'd have to sit down and rank it, but he's a freak of nature. Madden agrees, too. That's a 99, one of 4.99 overall. And you have your normal first-round pick after a terrible season. And at number four, you take Cleland Farrell. Good kid. Good good body of work at Clemson. Very solid, but he wasn't even the best defensive lineman on that team, and he took him at number four. You pass up on guys like Ed Oliver, Jot, Josh Allen, Dexter Lawrence, and then that's what you get. I mean, I like him, but number four is kind of a reach. You take Jonathan Abrams, the safety, killer. Uh, he's a killer. Like, he's a first-round pick. He's, I think he, where they got him was a good pick. He's a hard hitter. He's got to be – he's got to match that Amari Cooper, Khalil Mack production before too long. And then Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Alabama. Really nice. I think they're good players, but they got big shoes to fill in, o- in Oakland, soon to be Las Vegas, after trading away those two superstars. Yeah, definitely. I, I I think the biggest question for me is Abram. It was it at what twelve to fifteen somewhere in that range. It was in the twenties, yes. Yeah, uh, twenty early twenties, yeah. I mean, you have some some actual solid safeties and, and corners out there that they're built 
for the pro game that could fill those shoes instead of Abram, and you get a big hitter like him instead, I mean... Yeah, I've, they already have Carl Joseph, too, who is basically that safety who will crush anybody but has trouble in coverage. Abram, I think, is a lot better in coverage than Joseph, and I think he's worthy of a first-round pick, but when you're, ready, when you're the Raiders, you're going to Vegas. We talked about this. You need more playmakers. You need yeah. guys that are going to step in right away. No doubt. And, and Abram, he's really good, but I don't think he's going to be Derwin James. I don't think he's going to no. have that kind of yeah. instant impact of safety. And that's the problem is, is some of these young guys, they have some big shoes to fill. Even just from their like the previous two draft classes, I mean, you got Ha Ha Clinton Dix. You got you mentioned Derwin James. I mean, Malik in the Cooker, last yeah, Malik Jamal Cooker, Adams, like, Jamal Adams. Like these guys are studs. They're all pros. There's all. I mean, they or well, I guess Pro Bowl players. Um, but you know, they're they're these really strong, talented guys, and you got this guy going to Oakland, and you're just kind of like, if you don't watch college football, you didn't really know about him. The draft process, he wasn't touted as a, oh, they have to take this guy as a can't yeah. miss. It's a, well, the top, the quote-unquote five-star guys are gone, but here's a really good four-star guy, which yeah. you're not going to get a whole lot of those guys in that later spot, but it was weird to see them take a safety. I feel like their whole secondary needed work, and you had guys, like a guy I was going to bring up later, a guy we need to look, we should look out for is Greedy Williams. Was yeah. the top-rated corner, arguably, out of LSU, but he dropped all the way to the second round of the Browns. I think he would have been a good fit with the Raiders. They need secondary help. I wonder, I, we're going to get into that, like why do you think Reedy was passed up? But Abrams, I would have liked to maybe early second round for him if he's still yeah, there just... or another team that needs just that hard-hitting safety. I think that was the one thing the Raiders really didn't need was a hammer at safety. Exactly. And then, you know, you mentioned the Cleveland Farrell pick. I like Cleveland Farrell. I do, but you, you he wasn't even the best guy in Clemson's defensive line. First-round pick, hands down. If he's taking yeah. where Abrams taking, it's like, damn, what a steal. If you exactly. got him and Josh Allen, per se, or him and Ed Oliver, it's like, well, look at this Raiders defensive line. Yeah, no, he's – I mean, I think he'll be a good pro. I don't see any much downfall, but I think he's already approaching his ceiling, if not already there. I don't think he's going to be much better than he is. Um, I think he's kind of just going to be kind of a Haloti Nata style, like a long-term pro – He'll get you a couple sacks here and there, but his biggest job is going to be stopping the run. He'll be a sixth, maybe ten sack guy a few times, but he's never going to be that force of nature you want him yeah. to be, which is what you draft for number four. And that's not a big deal. It's better to get a really good player than someone who fizzles out like a Vernon Golston did with the Jets. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the running back from Alabama, though, that pick is, I think, honestly, out of their, their first-round picks, I think that's their best pick. I think he'll translate the best into the NFL for what Oakland and – Gruden likes to do. I think it's he's a straight running up uh, north and south guy. You know, he's, he he, he gets fiddle. going and he will run your ass over or you're going to get out of the way. There's no he's not going to move off of his line and the train is coming, get off the tracks. I mean, good luck stopping this kid. His strength is 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 not questioned. Like I mean, he is actually that strong. He's country strong. Just, you know, they like to say down south. Uh, but no, I think honestly the Raiders didn't do terrible, but there's, There's a, a but. And yeah. that's why they're on hard knocks. We're question. We have a lot of questions about that draft class coming in. And the one thing I'll add with Jacobs is Alabama running backs. Is he Trent Richardson or is he Derrick Henry? That's what yeah. you got to see with him because it's kind of like the Game of Thrones joke. Every time a Targaryen is born, you flip a, head, flip a coin to see if they're going to be insane. This one's with Alabama running backs. You kind of flip a coin. Are they going to pan out or are they going to fizzle out? So I, we'll see with them. I definitely, definitely agree. I think he has the best opportunity of some of the recent ones. You know, we see Mark Ingram still kind of sticking around um, in the NFL. So, you know, there are guys there that not for Alabama. Sean Alexander is probably the biggest one that stands out to me. Like, as far as, oh, my gosh, that's a running back. You know, like, he was the, the, the ear of the big running backs. He's probably one of the best. 
for yeah. like a three-year period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For three years, hey, all it takes is one, right? He did it for three. So yeah. he was a cover athlete for Madden, so you know he, he did something right. Got a Super Bowl ring, so not nothing too bad. They lost that one. Oh, well, never mind. He was they should have won that one. He was in a Super Bowl. Any, he didn't get what if you ask any Seattle fan, they should have won that Super Bowl. But. but, yeah, no, so, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I think he'll do well, but I do I do question the same thing. Like, is he going to be crazy or is he going to be good? And then guys that are translating to the NFL, a guy I think could be an absolute steal of a pick here that I thought was a first-round pick. I was begging teams that needed a receiver to take him early in the first, early, not really the first, middle of the first through the second round. Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State. The grown monster power forward playing receiver that he is. Watching his highlight film is like watching a grown adult pick on his kids after having too much of a competitive spirit or something like that. Or their kid beats him one time and he has to reestablish his dominance. He bullied corners. He has the best high point attacking of the ball since Mike Evans, arguably, coming into the league. He's faster than you'd think. He ran, I believe, in the high 4.4s, low 4.5s. I can't remember off the top of my head. Best hands in the draft. Longest arms. He... He's a monster. He's basically everything that... He's a skinny Gronkowski with his build, honestly. It's amazing. I think that's going to help Kyler Murray so much as having an easy-to-throw-to target like that, too. Exactly. And, and you know, I, with him, I, I honestly looked at his film, and it reminds you of Calvin Johnson as far as the just how bu- much of a bully he was to corners. Uh, he goes up over the top of him. He burns by him. You honestly don't know if he's going to run a three-yard slant or if he's going to blow by you for 40 yards. You know, he's just... And, and honestly, the quarterbacks in Iowa State, not that great. You're not talking about a, a, a next NFL quarterback there. I mean, they're... Like, Brock Purdy's really, really nice, and he's going to have a good Iowa State career. He'll probably get drafted, but you're not having Baker Mayfield or guys like yeah, that throwing you, the ball. You're not, you're not getting some guy like, you know, Phillip Rivers. I hate to bring him up again, but a good deep ball thrower like a Phillip Rivers. You're getting the guy that basically beyond 30, it's kind of a lame duck coming in there, and it's going to float a lot. Anyone so. who hasn't looked at his highlight reel, go look it up on YouTube. It's fantastic. You'll see what I mean when you just watch what he can do when the ball's in his vicinity. It's not necessarily the cleanest route runner. Good route runner. Not the fastest. Still pretty fast. Probably not the biggest, but he's pretty darn close. And just his knack for getting the ball and his yards after the catch is fantastic. Usually big guys are just high pointers and they go down. And once he gets the ball in his hands, he's actually like a running back, like those smaller guys like Tyree Kill and stuff like that. Guys, when we get the ball in their hands, they make moves. So he's he's a big prospect to look out for. I think this draft was deep with receivers, too. I mean, you have Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma going to the Ravens. Kind of funny for him. He goes from that Kyler Murray quarterback who likes to move <laughs> a lot to Lamar Jackson, a quarterback who likes to run a lot, who's, I don't think, as good of a passer as Kyler Murray, but we'll see what he does. They're going to run a lot of bubble screens, I think, and some RPOs with Lamar Jackson. Just get the ball in Hollywood Brown's hands and watch him go, because he might be already one of the five to ten fastest players in the league yeah i mean you don't get the nickname hollywood brown you know the hollywood sign like he's a star uh, he is a stud at receiver he's fast and that's i don't think there's a better fit for a team he could have got i mean obviously yeah you could get a pure thrower but as far as what he's used to already he's used to catching kind of some lame ducks so kyler wasn't always the perfect spiral he was mm-hmm. really good don't get me wrong but being as short as he was he couldn't always get a perfect spiral over the line so you know you, you you get a guy like Hollywood Brown coming in who is fast. He's quick enough to get to these quote-unquote misthrown balls that maybe they're actually where they're supposed to be intended for Lamar's sake. But for an NFL quarterback, quarterback, it's going to be a little bit off. So, you know, he's he's quick enough. He's He can adjust. Uh, my only question with him is kind of those 
ankle injuries, will they catch up with him? You know, you gotta wonder. Luckily, I think those smaller guys like him, and he's what five foot eight, five foot nine. Seems like the smaller guys heal from those injuries better, as opposed to the big guys who, when they get one foot injury, their careers go downhill. We see a lot in basketball, like Bill Walton. His once he started getting lower extremity injuries, career is basically over. So I think he'll heal up well. He's looking good. They're gonna run a lot of. Fun things like jet sweeps, end of rounds, like bubble screens, the quick screen, stuff like that. They just get the ball in his hands. So I think that'll help him early on when he, he's not quite used to those Lamar Jackson passes or those, oh, God, the ball's right here. I'm not ready for it. So he's a force to be reckoned with. And another guy built from the same cloth that I'm really excited is Paris Campbell, the Ohio State receiver, going to the Indianapolis Colts. We have Frank Wright, who arguably was the – coach of the year last year i mean the offense what he did for that colts team andrew luck who's a top five quarterback in the league depending who you talk to second in the nfl in touchdowns last year after coming off that bum shoulder he's a fantastic quarterback you give him a weapon like paris campbell to play opposite ty hilton eric ebron at tight end they're gonna have a lot of fun with paris campbell he can fly he can catch he runs clean routes kind of surprised he dropped as low as he did honestly i mean yeah i'm not sure why he dropped but that's a steal for that team too Oh, no doubt. And his story is great. Uh, they talked about it during the combine. I mean, the kid wasn't even recruited coming out of high school for real. Like, his junior year, he goes to an Ohio State receivers camp. And he tells Urban Meyer, I want to play for Ohio State. What do I need to do? Tells him, get 200, catch 200 balls after practice, or some insane number like that, after practice every day, and come back to me next season and come to this camp. And if you can so show me that you've improved, we'll give you a scholarship. You got a scholarship, never look back. He honestly could be one of the reasons Dwayne Haskins was so highly touted and came as, as a first-round pick. I like Haskins. I think he's good. But when you're throwing, Campbell was, not argu- was arguably not the number one receiver on that Ohio State team. He's one of the most productive, but... He was overlooked. He, I feel like he's been overlooked his whole career. And, but he is like, he, even when I said, like when I saw the draft pick, you're, you're a diehard Colts fan. I texted you immediately, and I told you, that was, I, thought that, I thought that was a steal. Like, that's a, that's a heck of a draft pick by him. I'm, I mean, that's... And you need somebody to pair with T.Y., and you already have success with that shorter style receiver. I feel like this is just another guy that you have to throw in there as a weapon that's actually might be a little more sure-handed than T.Y. I feel like that might be blasphemous for you. I'm, I don't know, but for, for, for my standpoint, I feel like he's just a little more... He's not as fast as T.Y., but he's like the Hushmanzada to your Ocho Cinco, you know? That type of dichotomy between the two could be what develops from it. And you have guys like Devin Funches, who they signed in, who could be your quote-unquote Hakeem Butler type. Just go be huge over there and get the jump yeah. ball. So that's an interesting dynamic. I want to see how Paris Campbell plays out in that offense. Yeah, and then actually keeping with the receiver talk, though, uh, DK Metcalf for Seattle, the guy that came alive during the combine. Everybody was already talking about a freak of nature, but he showed just how much of a freak of nature he was at the combine. Talk about a roller coaster, right? He goes from not even the best receiver on his team to a first-round pick that can't miss and best receiver in the draft to not really, no one really is not buying him. Then he suddenly, after the combine, oh my God, you can't miss him. He should be the be- he should be the first receiver taken, maybe a top ten pick. And then he drops a little bit to where Seattle gets to snag him. He's had an interesting ride here, and I wonder if that's gonna motivate him and he's gonna just put his head down and we're gonna be all scared poopless about what him, Russell Wilson, are gonna do next year. Or if he does end up being that Stephen Hill type where it's like, oh, wow, he's huge and he's fast, but how good is he? Yeah, and I question that Seattle offense, too. I mean, their receivers, you see it with, uh, what was it? Golden Tate, for Yeah, example. Golden Tate. Golden Tate, is, well, he's kind of a freak of Seattle. Like, for their receivers, he doesn't. He kind of stands out just because he went to another team, multiple other teams, and did well with them, you know? But, like, I'm thinking guys like Sidney Rice or uh, – 
older some of the older generation Seahawks guys when they're just so run heavy of a team, I almost question like whether this will be a great fit for him or will it backfire? Like we see Russell Wilson, he kind of has his own favorites when he's throwing the ball. Like you got Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Graham that went up there and where was he? Exactly. Like what, what happened to Jimmy Graham? Like you know, you you just completely got lost in the shuffle. So. I, I, I don't know. I look forward to seeing what he can do. And if he and Russell Wilson click and that offense can kind of change some things to work with DK, because we talked about in watching the combine, his, his route running needs work, a lot of work. But what he does well are those quick slants and a deep ball. I mean, a slant and a nine route. That's your entire yeah. route tree. Maybe a stop route here or there, both. Yeah. And he's quick enough to do it, so it's a question of what they do it. Whether, whether, it's, right. whether it's good for his career long term, I'm not sure. But for his rookie year, I think this was the perfect fit because Seattle doesn't even run like a normal offense. They hand the ball off a lot, they, and then they just say, hey, let's run. They basically run option routes 40 yards downfield. But Russell Wilson sits in the pocket, even if even though his offensive line's kind of crap. He doesn't help them a lot because he sits back there, sits back there, waits till a rush gets through, then panic runs out and slithers away. He's the, probably the best in the NFL I've seen besides Michael Vick at eluding pressure. And then he's looking downfield like, all right, Tyler Lockett, you ran a deep in route, but the way they played you, cut to the corner. Yeah. It's kind of like those short option routes Julian Edelman and those guys run. Just they run them 30 yards downfield, and Russell Wilson sits and waits to find it. Instead of looking deep to see what you have, then working your way down, he starts short basically to try and pull people down, then looks deep. It's kind of – they have a backwards-type offense. It's, and I think DK could thrive in that. It's basically, all right, DK, run 40 yards downfield, and however they're playing, you uh, cut the opposite way, and I'll find you eventually. Yeah. I'm going to get hit a lot, or I'm going to have to run for my life. My offensive line's going to look terrible, and they're not that good to begin with, but we'll make it work. So I think he'll have a lot of explosive plays because of the way they the way they run plays. It's really odd up there. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I mean You know, when I say I, I wonder if he's going to be another Seattle casualty with receivers. I think that's why Jimmy Graham didn't do, be, wasn't successful there is he's – the dude's a route runner. Like Jimmy Graham was a route runner, whereas DK Metcalf is—he's a freak. <laughs> yeah, he's just athletic as all get out, and he—he's gonna probably run into the same questions that Amari had when he came out. Can he catch the ball consistently? Um, those hands are a little bit suspect sometimes. Sometimes it gets caught between a rock and a hard place a little bit. Yeah, but. yeah. Literally, his hands are bricks. It's—it's <laughs> it's rough. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think he could be good, but it's dependent on if Russell gets in the ball. They'll be, we'll see how they work out. We'll, we'll learn a lot preseason about him. Like If he comes out running these slants, these zig routes, we'll be like, oh, okay, we were wrong. Somehow he's defying the law of physics and able to turn his giant body in ways that he shouldn't be able to, like those smaller receivers can as well. Exactly. And then I got one more receiver on my list that I was kind of a dark horse that I, I'm going to throw a little bias in here. He's an Auburn guy. Uh, but the team he went to, Darius Slayton, going to the New York Giants, I honestly think that's the greatest fit for him. He's, a, he's kind of that burner guy, but... He's, he was the crispest route Is that even a word, crispest? Most crisp, either way. Most crisp route runner for Auburn uh, throughout his career. And honestly, underused. Um, he wasn't really used until the Purdue bowl game last season where they absolutely demolished Purdue. And so that, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those guys that underrated through much of his college career, but I feel like it, as a pro, he can do really well. And I think going to the Giants where... You have Eli currently, and we'll get to Daniel Jones a little bit later. Um, you know, you guys got a cool, questionable staff there at quarterback, but you also have space in the receiving core. I mean, because right now, what, you got Sterling Shepard? That's all that rings about. Evan Ingram at tight end, but you got options out wide, yeah. so, so there's room for him. Can he take over that at least third wide receiver role, maybe even the number two spot? Uh, I don't know. I like to see what he can do. He is a burner, and 
I guess a burner at heart is the best way to put it, but he has hands. He doesn't really drop much. That hits him in the hands, and that's the important thing. And you did mention Daniel Jones. I feel like we have to kind of mention him with all the other guys we're talking about. We're going to learn a lot about him this preseason. We're going to see how these accuracy issues, how this reading the defense, we're going to see a lot about it because I think he's going to get some, maybe not first-team reps, but he's going to get some earlier reps. Like they're going to pull Eli a little quicker because, I mean, you already know what Eli is. It's been, He's been in the league for, what, 50 years now? I mean, this you're pretty well established. I honestly wouldn't even play him much, like give him a – one series a game, something like that. See what you got with Daniel Jones. Let him throw to the ones. See what it's like. Maybe he shows something that none of us see. Maybe he's absolute trash. That's a way to find out. Yeah. And to keep this from being a full-on just draft recap, we'll talk one more rookie guy each that we want to look out for, then we'll start talking about some of the other things we want to see from more established players in the league or the guys coming into their second year. Yeah. One quarterback who's not going to play this year. I can't see him playing, but I, I just want to kind of throw it out there because I think he's going to be good. Gardner Minshew that went to the Jaguars. He's the Washington State quarterback. He comes from that air raid Mike Leach offense with Mike Leach offense, which is heavily scrutinized for guys coming into the NFL. But I think Gardner Minshew could be a little bit different. I'm not saying he'll be Patrick Mahomes and he'll set the league on fire, but he's very accurate. He's quick with reading the ball. He's got a little mobility. He caught fire with that Washington State offense towards the end of last year. They were putting up points. They were moving the ball. There's a lot of those quick little swing passes that make the air raid famous where you're throwing it maybe 12 feet to the left or 12 feet to the right and watching your receivers make plays. But I think he showed the ability to read quickly, good arm strength, not elite arm strength, but really, really good throwing the ball intermediate, like those deep in routes, those deep short posts. He showed a lot for, to me last year, and I think him getting to sit behind, sitting behind Nick Foles is kind of weird because Nick Foles isn't a guy where you say, hey, watch him sit behind. But you can see how calm he was. Like, during those two playoff runs with Philly, Carson Wentz even kind of mentioned it, seeing. And a lot of the players, like, how calm he was, how relaxed. I was just like, oh, shucks, that play didn't go our way, but we'll get him later. Yeah. I think that'll be good for him as well. And they got some good young receivers down there. Maybe after they develop a little bit. It's Nick Foles' team now. It's a defensive team. Kind of a mess of a team, honestly, when you see some of the stuff, when you hear some of the stuff going around with him. But I think... I think he's a player to watch out for, whether it's with the Jaguars or if he ends up getting released and going somewhere else. I think he's going to be a starting quarterback at some point in his career, and I think he's going to make a lot of noise when he does. I definitely agree. I, I like Gardner Minshew. He's, he's got all the all the abilities. And, you know, there's something to be said about Mike Leach giving him his stamp of approval. Like, the kid the kid wasn't even going to play when Mike Leach first got there, and then Mike Leach brought him into play, like, because he could run his system. And that's something – there's something to be said about that. That's – That'd be that'd be he's a guy to look forward to. Um, I actually kind of got a uh, uh, I got two, so I got to talk about them. But one on both sides of the ball. I'll keep it short for everybody out there. Uh, I'm gonna let my fanhood show out again. But I got Deshaun Davis for the Bengals, team that needs a linebacker, needs quality people to play on their team too, like quality they, character guys. They and, gotta basically rebuild that team from the Marvin Lewis, Fontes perfect mess that it's been. So exactly. that's a good that's a good fit for him. Even if he doesn't start right away, he's gonna help change the quote unquote culture. Yeah. Plus they need linebackers, whether they start their sub linebackers there on kickoff or they just yeah. need people to go they need hitters. And if he does start from the beginning of the season, I if he's able to play from the get go, I do have him as kind of a dark horse for defensive rookie of the year because he is just that skilled running a defense and getting to the ball and making tackles. Um, and on the flip side of things, another quarterback, guy that's not going to start for a while. He's sitting behind Tom Brady, uh, Jared Stidham, yeah, kind of a kid that's all been all around since he left Baylor, since he left high school for that matter, went to Baylor, went to Blinn College, then played scout team quarterback for high school, went to Auburn, didn't always have the greatest time at Auburn. 
Um, but I think that's just a system that Auburn runs. It's not very quarterback friendly unless you unless you're a run first type of quarterback exactly. or a true athlete. And while he can move a little, he's no Cam Newton, for example. Yeah, and I think I think he could be that next Jimmy Garoppolo guy, that the guy that's the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Uh, his biggest question is, can he keep his mechanics consistent? Um, sometimes he'd overstride. Sometimes his arm would get a little loose throwing the ball. So it'd get a little little squirrely in there. But I think I honestly think he's He's set up to be a quarterback to look look out for in the future. Sitting behind Tom Brady can't hurt. Granted, he might if the Patriots want him as their parent, he might have to wait ten years depending on how <laughs> depending yeah. on Tom Brady. But that's a good pick. I look forward to seeing him too. I think in a different offense, he could have showed out a little bit more, maybe up his draft stock a little bit. It's hard to succeed in that offense unless you're a mobile type quarterback. Yeah, definitely. So, so we talk a lot about the rookies. To expand a little bit, we're gonna, I want to talk a little about some of these second year players because. We see it a lot throughout history. I mean, RG3, a bunch of guys that show up in their rookie year and they look like they're on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and then they're not. So I think the simplest place to start would be those quarterbacks, the two Joshes, Allen and Rosen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Baker, Baker Mayfield, who I think we both agree, Bakers, he'll be fine. I, I think he'll be fine. I mean, he's so bloody accurate. I talk about his mechanics all the time because they're absolutely amazing. I think Baker's probably not going to go full all-pro best quarterback of all time this year. But we got Odell, Jarvis Landry, all the weapons. We all talk about it. Um, he'll be fine. He'll probably get 28 touchdowns to 30, probably around the 10-pick march, probably about 4,000 yards, 63 yeah. to 65% completion. He'll have a really good lower-tier Pro Bowl caliber. Like, he'll still probably be a sub-in for the Pro Bowl. Yeah, definitely. I think for Baker, I think it, the, one, the one problem might become he has too many weapons. Uh, he might get that two Brett Favre mentality that he sometimes will show out. Um, he, you know, he is a gunslinger at heart. He just wants to get his guys the opportunity. So uh, I do worry that maybe he'll try to give too much opportunity to guys like Odell and Jarvis. Sometimes he might but, try and force it to him to just keep everyone happy because, yeah. weirdly enough, a lot of times they talk about the quarterbacks being like the quote-unquote leader of the team, the father figure, uncle figure, whatever you want to call it, where they're very cut and dry. They're very. There's not a whole lot of personality to him. He's the opposite. He is one of the lads. He is he's the leader of like when you see people dancing and playing in the locker room, he's the leader that he's usually yeah. starting. He's not the quarterback sitting in the corner clapping. He's he's starting most of the fun, which it's kind of a good thing. I mean, it's somebody everyone can rally around really easily. So I think he's the perfect type of quarterback for these egos. The question is, like you say, do all the mouths get fed and if they don't, can they work around it? And you have a rookie quarter a rookie coach, sorry, not rookie quarterback. Rookie coach, can he manage the egos? And more importantly, is there a sophomore slump with him? Does yeah. he? The defense is kind of sick. Oh, he's really good at let's say this corner route, like they did with Cam. They're like, oh, he loves the corner routes. Then they started just taking that away, so he had to try and throw other routes he's not as comfortable with. Yeah, definitely. There's film on him now. That's the biggest thing. And I like yeah. Baker. I like his mechanics. I love what he can do. We'll see how he translates. Yeah, the only thing with him, you mentioned the film part. Even when people got teams got film on him in games, I mean, it was still like, like you know five games into it, he was still cutting defenses apart, you know? So, actually, I feel like he got better once teams got film on him, you know? That's, it that's, was, that's it, for sure, but it's, I'm also thinking, like, the one week as opposed to full offseason. Yeah, but no, yeah it, it, right, it's, like, it, it'll be a question that, you know, can defenses that play him actually stop him, and can he adapt? It's, I think that's the biggest question for me is his adaptability when, in a game. Can he step aside from his own ego and be like, hey, I'm not getting it done doing what I'm doing, what do I need to change to get it done, you know? And that'll be a really good next step a lot of young quarterbacks need to take is going to plan B and plan C. Like, 
but I think we'll see how he tra- we'll see how he gets it done next yeah. year. He has yeah. enough weapons, so if he is struggling, sometimes you just be like, hey Odell, go get it for me real quick, or hey Jarvis, do what you do with your four hundred catches and three years thing. Yeah, and then speaking of Plan B, uh, I do question whether the Cardinals want a Plan B pill after the last draft because uh, <laughs> drafting Josh Rosen and then shipping him off to Miami. For Kyler now, I, I I don't know. I feel like Josh Rosen is that guy. The next one, I don't know. I'm just going into it. It was the best joke I had at the moment. So I like Josh Rosen. I think he has a lot of potential. In last year's draft going into it, he seemed like the most pro-ready, just his accuracy standing in the pocket. The question was, there was weird questions about his character. Like, did he have that Aaron Rodgers, does he think he's too smart for everybody? Which I don't really buy that. Everything I've seen from him, he seems like a good quality dude. And can he stay healthy? And so far, he stayed pretty healthy after getting assaulted last year behind that Cardinals offensive line. Yeah. So this is probably a blessing in disguise for him. Miami's not a whole lot better, but I trust them a little bit better than what Arizona's offensive line was. And the question is, does this trade destroy him? Does it rebirth him? Does he kind of stay the same? I mean, he's kind of the... I, who does, who's competing with him? I mean, he should be the foregone starter, realistically, when you look at it on paper. Yeah, no, definitely. I Honestly, I, when I see him, I think of the Margaritaville, the song, Jimmy Buffett song, you know. He's just so chill, so relaxed. He's a California kid. He doesn't seem like he's bothered by much. And maybe even there's a little Eli in him. I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe there's just that little bit of a, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do me thing. And I don't know what it is about his personality, but I it does make me question his quarterback aptitude because of his personality. And I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint it. I can't say it's because... You know, I think he's too laid back because he shows a little fire, but I don't. There's just something about him that I I hope he can get it figured out in Miami. I do think he has all the talent to be good, and I do think he he warrants the draft pick that the Cardinals spent on him because I, I honestly wish the Cardinals would have given him an opportunity because I think he was not terrible. He, he was not some. terrible for what he was given. I mean, it, you're not giving a whole lot down in Arizona. You got Larry Fitzgerald who is. Basically in the crypt. I mean, and David Johnson coming off an injury with no offensive line, a defensive head coach with no defense. Unfortunately, like they fell apart. That was just a mess last year. He didn't get a whole lot of opportunity. And realistically, they traded up to number ten to get him, and then you ship him away. So on Arizona, that's just a mess. I mean, yeah, you better hope Kyler pans out on that one. That's another thing with Kyler. You're throwing a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He's got to basically bounce out two first round picks at this point. Yep. Because there's a lot of talent left on that board the year before. Oh, no doubt. And, yeah, Rosen is definitely a guy that, by all means, I think he would have been perfect for Arizona. But I understand you want to get – you have the number one overall. You might as well get the best. If you believe Kyler Murray is gonna, can yeah. win you Super Bowls, you go get him. You don't and just mess around with quarterbacks, really. Kingsbury has been a guy that when he – even before he took over, even before there were talks of him taking over, he said if I had the number one draft pick, I would take Kyler Murray. A little foreshadowing. <laughs> so that is – you know, that tells you something about the kid. It tells you something about the coach and their, their relationship. So I think that'll work out for Arizona, but I honestly think this will work out for Miami the best with Josh Rosen. I think, I do think he can be what Tannehill was supposed to be there. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Dan Marino, but he, he can be a, be a guy that gets you there. He could be your stable quarterback for a 10-year period, potentially, if he continues yeah. his progression. Exactly. And then, of course, we talked about one Josh. we got to look at Josh Allen, too. You mentioned him earlier, the rocket arm of the law. Could throw the ball a million miles an hour and probably hurt people when they catch it. He had a surprisingly effective rookie year in Buffalo. Everyone wrote him off as being trash. How dare you draft him? Jalen Ramsey called him absolute garbage. That changed after they played. Weirdly enough, he was still inaccurate. He still had issues with that. But he made plays. He threw rockets and threw touchdowns. And as a runner, my goodness, I did not see this coming. He like he was pretty athletic, but he looked like a white Cam Newton half the time. 
like I liked him coming out of college. I liked him coming out of Wyoming. I loved his athleticism. I was shocked, and I thought he was athletic, but I he shocked me with how athletic he was. I mean, how many one hundred yard games rushing did he have? Like three something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then the the Minnesota game, just straight leaping a man, landing on one foot, taking a shot in the chest, keeping balance enough to gain three more yards after that. Most running backs couldn't do that, let alone a quarterback. And half of them that could do that, we'll take Zeke for example, he probably would have taken the shot to the chest and fell down. Like, Granted, you don't want your quarterback doing that yeah. a lot, but showing that he can do it, he showed an immediate impact, which I was impressed with. He still had those issues coming out. He still was very erratic with the ball. He still really couldn't trust him to throw people open, that sort of thing. Buffalo's clearly rebuilding right now. I mean, I don't, I can't even really name any of his weapons off the top of my head. I mean, LaShawn McCoy, if he's still around, but... Yeah. So he's going to have some work to do. They're not really a threat to take the division. I don't see it. Oh, he's got Cole Beasley now, too. I rest my case. I mean, so, Cole Beasley's well, not a guy that necessarily is going to chase down a ball if it's a little erratic. I mean, I know yeah. he had Dak throwing him a he few made, wild He made ones. Dak look good, and that's that's impressive enough for me. So Dak's very good in that 5-7 to seven yard range where Josh Allen's going to be like, no, 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 I got this arm strength. <laughs> if he, th- I think those 5-7 to seven yards, he's going to end up taking Cole Beasley's sternum out if he, th- if he tries to rocket it in there. Yeah, no doubt. And they're an interesting team. We talked about Ed Oliver. They're building for the future. I like Josh Allen. I think he could be pretty good. We just He's got to fix that accuracy. I mean, you, he probably left 20, 30-plus plays, hundreds of yards out on the field just from being a little erratic. Yeah. He showed a decent ability to read defenses. Not really that great by far. It was mostly the one-read kind of takeoff sort of thing. But he wasn't just like, oh, I have to throw it to my number one guy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So Well, here's, here's my question about that. Who is his number one guy? Exactly. <laughs> like, Let me I, phrase that. The first, the number one option on the particular play, not his number yeah, one overall target. He's, but yeah. he's a lot in that Josh Rosen category where he wasn't given anything to succeed. He was kind of just like, all right, you have that rocket arm. Just go show it off. Show the fans what to be expecting in the future. And, you know, Buffalo fans out there, uh, I, you do have something to look forward to in the future. But this you got to rough. give the man some weapons. You got to give him a little leeway if he struggles. We want to see improvement, but you can't expect him to suddenly turn into 4,000 yards, 69% completion, 30 touchdowns. It's yeah. not going to happen, no matter how many targets he has. With these targets, it's not going to happen. And most importantly, Josh Allen, quit running like a running back. You missed games last year. You're too awesome. You're, yeah. you run when you need to. Don't. We don't it, need the the wild wild west like Will Smith version of Josh Allen like. We don't need that crazy man jumping on a giant mechanical spider just to make a play. Like this, Josh Allen, just just relax. Just, you know. Slide. Don't, yeah, go down, man. As somebody who's a, watched Andrew Luck a lot, is a big fan of his game, early Andrew Luck did the same thing, and it was awesome. But save it for playoff games or big games. Don't do it. Just don't do it every game. When you're 6-10 yeah. or whatever it is, or when you're 1-5, whatever it would be, just go down. It's cool. Yeah. And then that leads us to the other New York quarter, another quarterback in New York, a young quarterback, Sam Darnold, one of your favorite guys coming out of the draft. I think he showed a, he had a, he had his rough moments with the Jets. The same thing we said with all these quarterbacks. All of them, weirdly enough, besides Lamar Jackson, went to terrible teams. It's kind of ironic because the last few years we've seen like young quarterbacks go to teams that were pretty good or that loaded up. Jets were terrible too. I mean, your best receiver had like eight felony charges from his reckless driving with <laughs> Robbie Anderson. So I thought Sam Darnold showed a lot of improvement. He had a buttload of turnovers, which you expect from rookie quarterbacks. Some of them were really bad. Other ones, they happen. It's He's a rookie quarterback. It happens. Terrible team. But it, that last half of the season or so, he showed a lot of promise, the way he was delivering the ball, the way he was reading defenses. I thought he showed a lot of improvement. 
being in the division with the Patriots makes everything difficult. But I think Sam Donald could be a quarterback of the future for him too. He impressed me because I thought he was gonna, I thought he was closer to Mark Sanchez than a Carson Palmer type. But I think as far as UFC quarterbacks go, but I think he established as being at least as good as Mark Sanchez at this point. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, definitely better than Butt Fumble Sanchez. Um, better than no, John David Booty since we're yeah, talking John David about Booty as well. Gosh, he was rough too. Um, yeah, no, I think I think honestly, Sam Darnold. Just you, you, you talked about it and hits the nail on the head. Turnovers, ball protection. Can he fix his issues? Because he has all the talent himself to be a good quality NFL quarterback. Uh, kind of wipe the smug face, smug look off his face. That'd be great. Quentin Williams, you can handle that in practice. Um, his Little face is just there, his, his face is just it's just so smug. I just I, I you know, but he does he says all the right things. He does all the right things on the field. He is a he has all the talent to be a good NFL quarterback. I don't know if he has the talent to be great, but nowadays there's not many greats coming into the league that we see yet. You I don't mean, see there's a, a lot couple of guys goods, doing. but there's not a lot of greats yet. So, you don't see a lot of guys that come in and it's like, oh, that guy's going to be Tom Brady or Drew yeah. Brees or something like that. Normally they work their way up there and it's the guys you don't expect nowadays. Too, yeah, so. you don't see a Steve Young getting stuck behind a Joe Montana, you know? Exactly. Like, you don't see that anymore. You, you definitely see these guys take their knocks and – I see. I think we saw a lot of that with Darnold last year. I don't think the Jets are there yet, but I think them getting Le'Veon Bell that helps a lot. That's gonna. I mean, you got a guy that at running back now who can catch, who can block, who can run, who can read, help a young quarterback read a blitz and all pick in the up same the blitz. Play. He do yeah, I mean the the guy Le'Veon Bell is gonna help out Darnold so much, and as long as he can keep the ball in the Jets' possession. And not make stupid mistakes. I, he's going to make some. He's still a sophomore quarterback. I, I get it. Like, he's second year. He's going to make some mistakes. But, honestly, the guy is just just a little too erratic right now. He just needs to tone it down a little bit. Again, drop the Brett Favre just a hair. And the one thing I think will help him, too, is I was a big fan of Todd Bowles. I think he's a great coach. Now he's got Adam Gase, who there's questions how good he is as a head coach. But he's an offensive guy. He helps quarterbacks. He made Jay Cutler look good for a little bit. He made Josh McCown look really good. Yeah. I think that's going to help him a lot. And you mentioned Le'Veon Bell. Top two to three running back in the league. We'll see how he bounces back after not playing for a year, but I can't see how it hurts him. They're probably all these young quarterbacks we've talked about, those sophomores, he's probably in the best situation long-term because you've got Jamal Adams as well, too, a stud defensive piece to build around. They signed a lot of good guys at C.J. Mosley. Like they have, they have a defense they're building. And Adam Gase, I think he's just going to look at it and be like, look, we have a stud defense, score 25 points a game, give up 17. We'll be okay. We just got to control the ball, like you said. Work Le'Veon Bell, pick up first downs. Let Sam use his mobility, kind of like Jake Plummer was in those old Broncos teams, sort of thing. Yeah. They'll get some better receivers and tight ends coming along. At least I hope for his sake. At least ones that can <laughs> not that can stay out of prison and jail. Yeah. So I think he's probably in the best situation long term as far as these young quarterbacks we've talked about that Excluding were drafted Baker. last year. Excluding Baker. Baker, that's true, I guess. Yeah. But I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see how things mesh with Baker too. Where, yeah, like they have a lot of right now talent. We'll see if they can resign because they're gonna have to resign those players too. Yeah, no, and the one thing I will say about Darnold too is, I think he needs to be more. He needs to take a page out of Alex Smith's book, and that game manager playbook that everybody hates to reference a quarterback by, but it's not a bad thing. You know, sometimes you need a game manager. Just to keep possession. You need the game managed until it's time to win the game, basically. Exactly. Like, you know, the, the, some of the guys, the older guys that we talk about that we just, we all love and we all respect so much. The Steve Youngs, the Joe Montanas, the Dan Marinos, 
I'm going to leave Brett Favre out of this because he was not a game manager <laughs> ever. Um, not even in coming back off of retirement or coaching Southern Miss quarterbacks. He's never been a game manager. He was winning that game or he was losing that game. Exactly. There's no in-between. He could be playing a pickup game and he is winning that game or losing that game. But, no, I, those guys, they, what they all had the ability to, to do is just run the offense, run what's called, make adjustments as need be. And Tom Brady is really the best at this. Reading the defense and then at the right time, calling an audible or calling the flip of a play and adjusting just a little bit to win you that game. Run those damn swing routes to the running back like James White 50 times. Let him get 18 yards after the catch. Julian Edelman, all that. Just keep running it. Just dink it around until they don't let you do it. Then you go over the top. Don't yeah, try and then you hit it. that seam route to Gronk for 30, 40 yards. It just exactly. breaks open. And Brady's the best of all time at that, arguably. Yeah. As much as everyone else in the NFL hates it because it's so damn effective. Yeah. And then there's the last quarterback who was a rookie last year that at least from those core five first-round guys, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. He's in the best situation right now, potentially, considering they were a playoff team last year. It depends how you look at it. Hollywood Brown, you bring in Mark Ingram. But you lose guys like C.J. Mosley on the defensive end. It's Alex Collins. Alex Collins could be an interesting pick up there, too. Like, they have running backs. They're built, it seems like they're letting his legs and that run offense they established take them all the way there. And they have good tight ends. I'm a big fan of some of their tight end situations, yeah. but... I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do it again. I mean, that division's kind of weak, honestly, the way it's been moved around and some of the pieces, like A.B. leaving, et cetera. But I'm not sure if they're going to be able to make the playoffs next year. Yeah, no, I, I, I respect Harbaugh for what he's doing offensively on that team. Like, willingly taking his ego out of play and his coaching ego, because every coach has an ego, I don't care what you say, because they all run a system. And Harbaugh is actually leaving his system out of it. He is purely being like, all right, my quarterback is talented in these things and is slacking in these things. And let's not play to his weaknesses. Let's play to his strengths and let him succeed. Uh, we talked about this in length during the playoff games last season. Uh, my opinion on quote coaches and court, coaches being so egotistical, not giving their young quarterbacks a chance. And, you know, we, we definitely discussed this. And definitely it's on the quarterback to make the changes. But in this case, I feel like this is great for – for Harbaugh, and it's great for Jackson, and it's kind of great for the Ravens franchise going forward, because if he can if he can develop while starting, and this team can still be successful, I mean this is a long term development project with Lamar, and if it can work out, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, a Mike Vick down the road, but right now he has Mike Vick's legs with the noodle arm of. You know, and he can't really get the ball outside the numbers. He's got to work yeah. on that. But he can hit you with those short little inside routes, little short inside option routes, little seams, that sort of thing. You can use the run to suck those linebackers up just enough. So I think they'll be good. I just I think the Browns are more threat for a playoff team. I think the Steelers, even though they lost the best running back in the NFL, arguably and arguably the best receiver, they had enough talent stashed away in there. They're pretty well loaded. Big <laughs> yeah. Ben just has to not be an idiot with the ball. And needs to not just, call out his teammates. They just need to get rid of Big Ben. That's one way to look at it, but I think they'll be fine. I mean, James Conner's still pretty good. He's not better than Le'Veon Bell. I don't care what anyone says. He had a good year last year behind the best offensive line in football in a loaded offense. Stop it with people saying that it, that teammate Le'Veon Bell. That's not the case. James Conner just happens to also be good playing in that system. Yeah. And Juju Smith-Schuster is an emerging superstar receiver. Even when you put the number one corner on him, he's still going to get his. Yeah. And James Washington, that receiver they drafted last year, 
He was the best receiver in college football, arguably, for a little while. Oh, no doubt. Best deep threat, arguably, and now you pair him up with Juju. They're going to be fine. They're still going to be a threat, and that defense, we talked about, they had a pretty good draft themselves, too. I mean, yeah. trading up and getting Devin up for that linebacker, they're going to be a force. Yeah, no, that that is true. I, I, that, that conference is absolutely loaded, um, and it's rebuilding. And that's the biggest thing is who, which team in this conference – can retool division. or division? Yeah, sorry, uh, yeah, whatever. Same thing, I'm, I'm in basketball mode still, so. Uh, but no, which team in this division can rebuild and retool quick enough to take advantage of the other teams retooling? Exactly, and I, that's that's why we talk about these second year players and what can we expect from them. Exactly, like the Ravens, they were bit, they're quote unquote defending champions, but we'll see because I think they did not get any better. I don't know if they got worse necessarily, but they didn't get better. The Browns, well. We all know them. On paper, they are loaded. On the field, we will see. I like their chances. We're going to do a little preseason. Once the preseason starts wrapping up, we're going to do a prediction of how we think teams will finish up. But as of right now, without seeing anything, I think they're the favorites for the division, if not a wild card spot. Yep. Steelers are still the Steelers. They're still set and ready to go. They Even though they have – I say they have issues at quarterback, even though Ben Roethlisberger is a perennial pro bowler, I still think he has a lot of shortcomings that I think have hindered the team this loaded team they've had the last few years where they've had more talent than anyone basically since, what, 2015, 2016, but they haven't yeah. been able to get over the hump. And then Mike Tomlin, everyone loves him. I think he's. I think his time there should be coming to an end. He's a pretty good leader of men, but as a coach, he lacks a lot. I haven't seen a lot of it personally. When you watch him as a coach, it doesn't seem like he fully gets X's and O's. It just seems like he's really good at rallying people. But he just makes some questionable decisions sometimes. So he's a more successful Rex Ryan. That's one way. That's a good way to look at it, honestly. Like, like he actually knows how to market himself to keeping his job. I, I don't think Tomlin's terrible by any means, but I don't think he is. I, I'm with you. He, he's not X's a top and O's, five coach all time. Like it sounds. Some people yeah. say he is. X's and O's. He's he's very questionable. But I Joe's and Smoes. He's great with them. And then you look at some things, too, like that Antonio Brown situation with the Facebook Live. It, you, there's just a lot of little things. He's like, well, we're not going to punish ourselves. You, you can't really say that. You mean, whether you believe it or not, there's there's been some questions there. He's still obviously a really good head coach. I mean, 25 teams would take him over their current head coach. I mean, there's maybe yeah, seven better true. than him, honestly. Yeah. Not trying to fully blast him. Just saying, like, he's been there for a long time. Big Ben's been there for a long time. Eventually, things, unfortunately, you just kind of need to do it. There needs to be a change. I mean, Tom Landry eventually left the Cowboys, stuff like that. So. Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy, Je- well, that was a weird, that was a well. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, we yeah. All, Mike Ditka eventually left the Bears, even though Bears fans are still asking for him to come back. Exactly. So there's always some stuff. There's always stuff like that. So they're still going to be an issue. The Bengals, we talked about them a little bit. They're in full rebuild mode. Honestly, they should trade AJ Green. I know they talked about it. Let him start go somewhere else to try and win again. Andy Dalton, I think you're kind of stuck with him right now because yeah, you can't you do anything too much. else. You paid him too much, and there's you're you're not picking high enough to really take another quarterback so if you yeah. believe he's not that old though i mean he's still pretty young especially in quarterback years you could retool around him if you still believe in him aj green if you believe in him and he wants to stay that's fine tyler eifert if he can play more than 13 snaps joe mixon's a pretty quality running back like they have some pieces but i doubt they're gonna be a worst of first turnaround team like so the they're kind of out of it but those other three teams i think they're gonna be it's gonna be a fun division again like this was arguably called the best division of football for a few years span there when the ravens and steelers were going back and forth and the Bengals were that third team i think we're gonna see that again coming up this year oh yeah definitely i, I definitely agree and then kind of wrapping this this recap of these second year players you got two two more for you i think the question with the lies ones is how are they gonna bounce back after these rookie years 
One of them that kind of, I kind of have questions about because he was really good was Leighton Van Der Esch. Yeah. He's a, the Cowboys linebacker. Kind of, I don't want to say took it by storm, but when he was drafted, they're like, he was more known for looking like Thad Castle in his ability to play football. <laughs> yeah. But he came out, and he was fantastic. I mean, he was a really, really good run defender. Going downhill, he was fantastic. Coming up and making tackles from, like, that cover, too, like, against the Saints is where I think he really helped show up. He'd come down, get Kamara. Come down, get Mike Thomas really quick. No yards after the catch. Sure tackler. A little overrated by some regards. Like, he's really good, but he's not. He sh- he shouldn't he sh- have necessarily been in the Pro Bowl right away unless it was like a later alternate compared to some other guys. Yeah, he's definitely definitely not the best of the rookie last year's rookie class in linebackers, but he's top two, top three from that group. Uh, I mean, you yeah. feel like you can comfortably put him in the top three. Uh, top two, maybe. Eh. Depends on what you think, but yeah. we'll get to some, one of the other guys here we're going to talk about in a little bit. It's kind of weird we're talking quarterbacks and linebackers today is the plan. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the goal. Um, for me, I got uh, one of the guys I have looking – back at from last season going forward is carry on Johnson. Um, I've talked about him before many times. I, I mentioned him. Uh, I just think he's just so talented for what the Lions need. And I think he is the best running back to come through Detroit since Reggie Bush. Granted, we only have a year. So how does he continue his, his progression? And more importantly, can he recover from the nagging leg injuries that keep popping up in his career. If he uh, can stay healthy, he reminds me a lot of an Alvin Kamara type play. Yeah. Just a little bit, can do a little bit of everything, not the fastest, but so quick of foot. He can run pretty good routes. He's not necessarily the receiver Kamara is, but he's very versatile, athletic, not a sprinter, but still fast, not a hurdler, but can still jump, not a, not a ladder expert, but can still juke people. Like, yeah. He's just a really well-rounded back that makes plays, and you can ask him to do just about anything, and he'll go do it for you really comfortably you can depend on him that's yeah. the biggest thing you kind of want from a running back is hey he's dependable exactly yeah i think he he kind of he's one of those auburn running backs that is taking advantage of the system that auburn ran and he was asked to block he was asked to throw he was asked to you know run he was asked to catch passes he's asked to be a deep boy on things you know so it's he's definitely taking advantage of that and he's showing all of his full talent in the pros and i think he's another guy that just Looking forward to the second, his second year. Can he not get that sophomore slump? Can he keep evolving and keep bringing his game into a into a, a higher realm? I mean, really. And then we talked about linebackers to kind of tease that to it. When we looked at last year's linebackers, probably the big three when you look at it. Leighton Van Der Esch, Roquan Smith, Darius Leonard. All three fantastic. I know Roquan got a little bit of a late start with us and didn't get to start the first couple games. But I think he proved he's fantastic, especially in pass coverage. Yeah. Lane Van Der Esch showed he can absolutely destroy the run. Darius Leonard, the ultimate Pro Bowl snub if I've ever seen one. Even as an alternate, yeah. you don't get him in. Leads the league in tackles, has Bill's seven. Madden snub, too. Yeah, I don't know what the ratings are with that. He struggled a little bit against the Chiefs, but, I mean, that that game was just rough for everybody on the Colts team. The Chiefs just kind of were ready for him, and I don't think the Colts are ready for the Chiefs. Darius Leonard, you lead the league in tackles. You have seven four, sacks, I think is what it was, four interceptions, four forced fumbles. Basically, you stuffed the heck out of the stat sheet. You were the best tackling linebacker in football last year when you look just looking at strictly numbers, not like all the other stuff. On a defense that played really well down the stretch, but it's not by any means a loaded defense. It's not the Cowboys defense that no. we saw destroy the Saints. It's not the Jaguars defense. It's not the Patriots playoff defense or anything like that. But he showed that he is going to be a perennial all-pro as long as that's not the peak. Like, if that is his peak, that's a really good peak, but he needs to continue doing, playing at that level, even if the numbers don't quite match, because those are historic numbers. You can't expect 160 tackles every yeah, year. Yeah, that's 
crazy. I mean, that's Patrick Willis-esque. Better than Patrick Willis, actually. But, but yeah, no, he, he does remind me of Patrick Willis, of that talent level. It's whether he can sustain it and, frankly, on a defense that needs him to be a, a top linebacker. I mean, he is – they're rebuilding, so obviously that's to be considered into us. But as of right now, I mean – I feel like it's straight up Darius Leonard's defense, and you got Malik Hooker on the backside. You have, I can't think of his name right now, the corner. That, Kenny Moore, the, Kenny Moore, the sack yeah. artist of the playoffs all of a sudden. Yeah, Kenny Moore, the blitzing cornerback who's better covering than blitzing, but anyways, we're going to blitz him anyways. Like, whatever. Uh, anyways, no, Darius Leonard, I, I think, is just, he's so good. I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm a Cowboys fan, so obviously I like Leighton a little bit. And we all like Leighton, he's fantastic. But... I, I honestly love Darius Leonard's talent level. Um, he is just so good across the board. He, he's another guy that has those long, long arms that just once they get you, he's he's got you. He's a spider. Like he will have you, John Jones esque for all you fight fans. It's you know he just gets you wrapped up and you're not getting out of it. He has incredible range where I think Leighton's outstanding going downhill. Darius goes side to side a lot better. And I think in pass coverage, he's not quite Roquan necessarily. I think Roquan's one of the best covering, going to be one of the best covering linebackers in the league for a while. I think he can still hold his own coverage. He still gets picks. He still makes clutch interceptions. Those long arms you mentioned when he rushes the pass, so that helps him engage and disengage the linemen as well as just basically get off the run blocks too. So He's a guy I just want to see, is he going to continue on this perennial Pro Bowl all-pro trajectory, or was it going to be a flash in the pan? I don't see how it could be a flash in the pan, honestly. When you hear the guy talk, when you look at his game, he's got, the Colts got a steal last year with him, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith. They hit it out of the park last year. This year you got Rocky Sin, Paris Campbell. We're going to see what they look like this year. Yeah, I definitely think his biggest thing, he definitely needs to improve on pass defense, just long-term coverage-wise. Um, he's very much a – I can cover the middle – but he's a good zone defender. Can, like. can he cover that slot receiver if he gets put over the top of that on a deep out? You know, can he cover that guy on a deep post or a deep corner? Can you put him on Travis Kelsey? Like, don't let him get 150. Keep exactly. It. You're can not going to stop Travis Kelsey, but we need to play man. Hold him to five for 50 or something yeah. like that. Can he do that? That's that's my biggest question for Darius Leonard going long term forward. Uh, but I do think he is the best of these second year players we've talked about, and he's in the best position to be. One of the greats in the NFL. Uh, he definitely has all the talent. He has all the tools. He has the brains for it. Just can he continue his trajectory and can injuries, can the injury bugs stay away from him? Is there anything else you'd like to talk about for the NFL preseason coming up, training camps, anything else we should look out for that we didn't mention today? Uh, looking forward to hard knocks. We mentioned a little bit earlier. Looking to see the, you know, what the Raiders behind the scenes look like. We all know Jake or John Gruden. Um, we all know Carr. We all know AB from their antics and, Car not so much as antics, just Car's kind of a laid-back, chill dude. Uh, but A.B., I mean, his antics are well-known. Very, very well-known. <laughs> uh, Gruden, we all know how crazy he can be, and now you have a camera on him basically 24-7. Like, you saw with Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher was the exact same on Hard Knocks as he is in everything. So. And then last year with the Browns coaches, you saw a lot of them basically trying to show up and show out for the camera a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Todd so. Haley especially is. Todd Haley, I mean, yeah, exactly. Hugh Jackson, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that'll be fun to watch uh, going into the preseason. Um, really excited to see just, you know, what these young guys can do, especially all the playing time they're going to be given. Um, always excited for the Hall of Fame game. If they actually have it this year, if they stop having issues with this artificial turf, it'd be great. Uh, yeah, that's awful. And speaking of Hall of Fame, 
Baseball Hall of Fame inductions today. I mean, we had some pretty noticeable names for us people in our general age gap going in. It's yeah, no, definitely. This is uh, the one of the first years that kids born in the 90s will actually know these players. Um, you got Mariano Rivera first. I'm going to start off with him because he is the first unanimous vote-getter inductee. Like, so he, he every single voter put him as an inductee on their ballot. That is absolutely unheard of. The Baseball Writers of America do not ever agree on anything, but they all agree that this man who throws two pitches, a cutter that will absolutely saw your bat off, and a straight fastball slash changeup thing, I don't even know what to describe it as, is, is the best pitcher to ever the best closer they've ever seen you know and so for them him to get a unanimous election into the hall of fame and as a closer too not yeah. a full-time pitcher not a guy that pitches you the seven innings or sometimes not a guy who averages two pitch it two innings a game basically exactly i mean yeah he, he, it's crazy to me to th think that that's uh something that's happening right now but i mean it couldn't happen to a better guy and he uh, earns every bit of it is earned. I mean, he is, he is he is humble pie as all humble pie gets when it comes down to it. He is the most humble dude. He will do everything for his community back home. I mean, the guy is the guy's what if you're if you have a young child right now or you're a coach, you're teaching your kids what to be like off the field. I point to none other than Mariano Rivera. I mean, that's the guy is a pinnacle of what you can expect from a baseball player or any athlete. Period. And even just even going back to on the diamond too. I mean. It felt like any time he kid took them out, it's like, well, this is over. Good job, guys. It was like Adam Vinatieri going for a game-winning field goal or something, or quote-unquote Michael Jordan going for the game-winning shot. It's like, well, this was fun. Good game, guys. Every time he touches them out, it's like, well, we had a good run. It's over now. Exactly. Yeah, no, you heard you heard Andrew Sandman come over the PA system. You know it's game time. Exactly. Like, you you either hit that first pitch or you're not going to touch anything you, you see from him. You better catch him before he gets warmed up, and it took that one pitch to get warmed up, basically. Yeah. And uh, another big, big name to talk about is uh, Roy Holiday, Doc Holiday. Uh, his wife actually gave his Hall of Fame induction speech. Uh, I was just reading some of the reviews on it. And I actually didn't get to see it myself, but he said it was one of the most emotional and en like entrance or inductee speeches they've ever heard of. Um, for those of you who don't know, Roy Holiday passed away a couple years back uh, due to a plane accident. He was actually, I think he was flying medical equipment uh, for uh, some kind of charity event. And unfortunately, the plane went down. and He passed away. Um, you know, he is—he was one of my favorite pitchers growing up. I loved watching him. Um, he had a wide variety of pitches. He wasn't oh, just that two-pitch guy. He seemed like he could throw everything. He probably could throw. He was a righty. He probably could throw him left-handed if he wanted to. Yeah, well. no. Nah, you call him Doc for a reason. It's not because he's that just has a degree. No, he's he's preci precise. He's it's all precision. He will lull you to sleep. He will rock you to bed. You name the analogy, he can do it to you. He had a really deep toolbox. Yeah. There's a reason he has two Cy Young awards to his name. He was fantastic. I think he, hopefully, he doesn't get lost in the shuffle long term because he was one of the best pitchers I ever got to watch. Absolutely, and honestly, he just—he was another guy. You just look at this list, and I can go down this list, and all of them, just off the field, they're just so great. Uh, Mike Messina, another one. I mean, again, you could say like Doc, he was just that good, but. Doc's on another level for Messina. Messina is he was quality. He was he's an, he's a perennial kind of nod for for All Star voting, but he was never that guy for he was any never team. The best necessary, but he was consistently really good. Yeah, but he did bring the pitch that I used to throw back when I was playing. He did bring the knuckle curve into prominence. Um, it was a pitch that 
<laughs> good luck hitting it. Honestly, it drops right out of the sky into a bucket. That's actually how we practice it. We're trying to drop it in a bucket from the mound, and good luck. Um, you know, he another guy, Edgar Martinez. This is another really notable one. Um, we all saw, we kind of saw the tell ends in our lives uh, if you were born in the 90s. Um, but a DH to be elected to the Hall of Fame. A guy whose only job is to hit to actually be elected to the Hall of Fame. I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you could have had a, a more influential pick other than Mariano or Doc to be in this Hall of Fame draft. And if this was any other year, this is the this is the headline of the Hall of Fame inductees. This is your is, lead to pretty much any other time. Yeah, your DH, the first time a DH has ever been elected. Uh, and then just kind of rounding it out, you got Harold Baines. Again, never a guy that was the best, but if you want to look for a solid player, you got Harold Baines there. And then you got Lee Smith. Uh, another guy, you know, he's kind of rev- came in in that closer era when closers started becoming a thing, uh, the Donald, the Eckersley eras, things like that. Uh, he kind of got overlooked a couple times, but it's kind of nice to see that he is getting his his just due. He was, a, you know, a great pitcher. So uh, it's it's nice to see these guys get in the Hall of Fame. Um, guys that didn't make it, you got, you know, Barry Bonds still not making it. I don't know if he's going to make it, honestly. It's a, they just seem so set on not putting him in there because of a steroid allegation. And honestly, he's so polarizing. It's just, it almost seems like it's a cool thing to not vote him in or it makes you, quote-unquote, different or hipstery to not vote him in, depending on how you look at it, honestly. Both sides of, both sides of the equation, it works for them to not vote him in. Exactly. So, you know, I think this year for, for Hall of Fame, though, for the MLB, this is probably the one year you're looking at the list and you're just kind of like, no questions. I don't regret any of these picks to any of these guys to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. I think all of them are well deserving. Uh, you know, uh, maybe Lee Smith might be the most quote unquote questionable, but that's like saying that Chipper Jones isn't one of the best switch hitters you've ever seen. You just, it's kind of blasphemous. You just, you know, he, he was that good. He in an era where he needed to be that good. It would be wrong to say he doesn't deserve to belong. He's yeah. just surrounded by base. He's basically a nine surrounded by tens. If we're going to use an yeah. analogy like that, which is. Not to disrespect him at all, I'm just you're putting on a deck with Mariano Rivera and Roy Ho- Roy Holiday. I mean, yeah, I mean, and then yeah, good luck. <laughs> exactly, and all these guys deserve it. Fantastic moments, well deserved, all of them. Amazing careers, couldn't be happier for them. I wish every every year for Hall of Fame was this basically like cut dry easy. I wish every yeah. sports Hall of Fame was this just dead on. Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I remember back last year when they announced like who's actually going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame and when when they had Doc Holliday's family and Mariano they had the short clips of it um, I, I as a fan of the players uh, growing up watching these guys these were my heroes growing up I mean I, I literally looked at it and I, I shed a tear watching it it was just so emotional so awesome to see you wanted to be these kids growing you, you wanted to be these guys growing up as kids and I am I, I still to this day remember emulating Mariano Rivera's wind up as well as Doc Holliday's wind up when I was pitching like you know pre-game trying to trying to see if I can do the exact same throw the exact same pitches uh, when I learned how to throw a knuckle curve I watched Mike Messina highlights when YouTube was first coming about like you know these guys are, are guys that influenced my life in such a big way and a lot of baseball players lives in such a big way and it's it's great to see it's well deserved too I can't emphasize that enough exactly best, probably the best Hall of Fame class I've seen in a while just as far as people as well as skill and just overall deserving it. There's no questions whatsoever. Absolutely. All right, and transitioning away from baseball for a second, uh, we're going to move to the fights last night. Um, fight night on ESPN kind of 
Uh, for those that don't know, the only reason I was really paying attention was Greg Hardy, but um, DJ will let you kind of recap something. Fortunately, Greg Hardy was kind of the biggest name on the card, depending on who you talk to. Uh, once again, he wins a fight in under in like 40 seconds. He's athletic, he hits really hard, he's kind of a freak, not very technically sound, but he wiped the floor with a guy that was pretty even to him as far as experience level goes. He didn't really look good except for his takedown defense when when Adams shot on him. He That wizard... So that was absolutely beautiful. I can't even explain it in actual words to see a 266-pound heavyweight who cut to that limit. Like, you don't get much bigger than that, honestly. See how he just shrugged him with his hip and ended up on top of him. Kind of like a side mount with the guy on his hip sort of thing and then just blasted away at his head. For all Greg Hardy's faults and his fight lack of fight skill, quote-unquote, for UFC level, that was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, see, I just want to see Greg Hardy get his head bashed in. That's the whole reason I was watching. Um, I just want to see somebody knock his block off, so that's what I was hoping for. But yeah, no, that was a, that was actually honestly a fun fight to watch. It was short enough that you can almost get it in on a little blurb on Twitter, so it, was, it wasn't too bad. He's probably uh, not going to fight a lot of those Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou type guys that will blow his head off like you want to see for a while. I think they're still going to keep him in that prospect lower level type thing, which is smart for his career. You don't want to feed him to the guys that absolutely murder people's skulls right away. So I mean, for the UFC, invest on your investment. That's smart for people like you. You want to see, see him fight Derek Lewis or Francis Ngannou right away. Absolutely. I just want to see that. Now, if Honestly, if they, they sold me a pay-per-view that says Francis Ngannou versus Greg Hardy, I'd, I'd buy it immediately. I'd be I'd be sitting in front of the TV with my popcorn ready for a 10-second fight. And it would only be 10 seconds because he'd wobble around for the first 8 seconds after he got hit. So. Anyway, the rest of the fight was unfortunately a little uneventful. Like There were some pretty good fights. 10 decisions, if I'm not mistaken, that was a UFC record. I mean, they had three knockouts in a row that were a total less than two minutes, including the Greg Hardy one. They, it was kind of funny. And then Walt Big Ticket Harris putting the lights out on Olenek, who we kind of knew if it stayed on the feet, Olenek was in trouble. All he can do is choke people. Really good at it. He chokes them when they're sitting on top of him, punching his face. And it's really weird how he can choke people while being mounted. Or even when they're in a clinch position on top, he just locks up a weird Ezekiel choke. But Walt Harris, I think, established himself as not just a fluke, fun fighter, runoff type fighter. He showed, like, hey... I can I can use my aggression, I can use my kind of wild punching, and I can make it work. That knee to the left hand was really nice. He looked really good. The rest of the fights were really good. Alex Hernandez, I know he's mostly known for getting kicked in the face by Donald Cerrone, but he had a decent game, he, decent fight. He probably lost, but it wasn't that big. The main event was kind of good. It wasn't exciting by any means, but it was so technically masterful. Rafael, Rafael Dos Anjos, one of the best fighters in the world, Unfortunately, at welterweight, where he's looked so good, he's a pygmy compared to the rest of them at five foot seven, five foot eight. He just can't reach him. He's very pressure heavy, so he does march forward. But Leon Edwards, six two and some change, long arms. He picked him apart on the outside. Those elbows are disgusting. The one, two, the one twos, even taking him down once. And when he got his leg kicked out from under him on his back, defended just fine against the guy who was really good on top. So. For me, it was a really good performance. It wasn't that exciting. The fight night itself wasn't one to write home about and be like, oh my God, guys, you have to watch this event with me. But I think we saw Leon Edwards assert himself as a next potential contender at welterweight. A lot of guys at welterweight that he want, that are good matchups for him, like not for him to win, just really good matchups. Him and Jorge Masvidal got that beef, the three-piece and a soda thing from the backstage. I don't think that's going to happen. Masvidal's all in on that title fight or that McGregor fight can't blame him you're coming off that five second explosion on ben askren's skull i mean why do anything why take anything else 
Leon Edwards is probably going to be ranked in the number seven or so. You could match him up with Darren Till, a little English versus English, a little UK battle there. That's a good fight. Maybe matching up with a Ben Askren who just lost, a, even though he's going to be ranked well ahead of Askren, I think is now a 10. So that one he might not want. You could put him against Tyron Woodley, the champion who's coming who's coming off a loss and was supposed to fight Lawler but got injured. So there's a lot of fun going on at welterweight. Then you got Colby Covington, everybody's favorite villain, the basically the biggest I don't know how to describe basically he epitomizes the make America great sort of thing because he says it in every interview he talks about making welterweight great again he's the biggest Trump fan I've ever Donald Trump fan I've ever seen but he's fighting Robbie Lawler in a fight that's very winnable for him and he was interim champion a little over a year ago so welterweight's kind of fun at least for me and then the champion coming off an injury so there's a lot going on at welterweight okay so after last night what is the one thing you can say looking forward to uh, in the next fight night, or there's obviously that Covington and Robbie Lawler fight. How does Lawler bounce back after that? He lost to Askren, but he didn't really lose. He beat the piss out of Askren and then got choked out without going getting choked out. I mean, that was just a weird scenario. And at the same time, he wanted to fight Woodley. It didn't work out, but he said he'll fight Covington, so you could tell he's not a big fan. They trained at the same gym for a while, but not really together, so we'll see how that plays out. Covington's trying to get that title shot that he's basically should have had more than for the last year. He's been kind of given the shaft, and unfortunately, I think unless he absolutely starches Robbie Lawler, he's gonna get shaft. He's gonna get the shaft again because Masvidal has to be next. I mean, a five-second murder of Askren, that next title shot, no questions asked there. <laughs> All we're waiting on is Kamaru Usman to get healthy, and then like Leon Edwards ascending into that role. Like the welterweight's just really fun at the top right now, so that's an event I'm looking forward to. And of course, Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, the rematch coming up. Was DC's knockout the first time a fluke? Stipe is arguably the best heavyweight of all time. We'll see how we'll see how they bounce back. Stipe's been on the shelf since that fight. Cormier did fight Derek Lewis in between. That's a fight I, I think a lot of people are curious about. And DC at heavyweight. If he wins this fight, he might be the best heavyweight of all time. He hasn't lost a round at heavyweight. In fact, he hasn't really lost a whole lot of... He's lost maybe five rounds in his career. He, like three or so to John, maybe two to Alex, depending on how you look at it. Honestly, you take away John Jones out of the scenario, which is blasphemous to do, but just considering all the issues he's had in both fights, like as far as drug testing, all that sort of thing, DC is the best fighter of all time on paper. That's crazy to hear about. I mean, think about only losing five rounds in your give or take, yeah, yeah, in your entire career. Like that's I, that's the hall, obviously Hall of Fame match in UFC, but just worldwide hall. Like that's just talent. That is amazing to think about. And I mean. When you look at it, he's never had any, no drug issues, no running people over issues, no hitting pregnant women in their car issues. Like, he hasn't had any of those things. Like, the other guys in that conversation look at GSP, Demetrius Johnson, Anderson Silva, John Jones. Jones and Silva, they both have those drug issues. I still think Silva's the best fighter I've ever seen, but with those drug issues, you take them into account. GSP, I think he's the best welterweight of all time. His middleweight title is very overrated. He beat Michael Bisping, who was coming off a bit of a layoff as well as he was kind of a he wasn't he was not the best fighter in the division at the time even though he's champion and then he disappears again you fight one time at middleweight against a guy who's not he's not the best fighter and he's not i know he was the champion and it sounds blasphemous saying that he had a title defense but it doesn't have the same weight as if he beat a true big time middleweight like he beat a yoel romero or robert whittaker or something like that and then he bailed on the division citing health issues and still hasn't come back so He's obviously in that top four, but I can't put him number one. 
Demetrius Johnson never really moved up after 125 was made. He stayed there, refused to fight the 135ers. He was good at 135, but he lost his title fight to Cruz. So, really, DC, I mean, undefeated at heavyweight, nearly undefeated at light heavyweight. He's the man. He's the best champ champ besides Amanda Nunes, really, too. So, that's yeah, a fight we, I'm really looking yeah, forward to. We, we, took, we talked about Amanda Nunes. In the last episode, and yeah, she's a whole no, she's a whole other level of beast. We won't we won't get into comparing <laughs> those two. She's probably the best female fight, MMA fighter of all time. I can't really question that. So, you have DC Stipe and then Covington Lawler. I'm curious to see if this layoff affected Covington at all because he spent a lot of time, quote unquote, trying to make the welterweight division great again without fighting this last year. Yeah, that... He went to the White House and took a picture with Mister with the president. Does that affect him at all? I mean. Is, I don't know. He seems really hell bent on this character. I'm wondering if it affects him in the cage. You almost wonder if those guys, those type of guys, did they really choose the right field by going UFC with those type of caricatures, or is that really just who he is? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he needed to take up WWE on an offer or something. We'll see. I mean, that could be in his future, depending on how this fight goes. But that's pretty much all that's going on in the MMA world right now that has my full on attention. So, is there any last things you wanted to add, real quick? Nah, it's it's kind of been a quiet weekend. Um, Bummer Serena lost out in Wimbledon. Um, but, you know, she's so great still. It's, it's she'll, be, she'll be fine. It'll yeah, be fine I think I think she'll be fine. It's Super Mom is still super awesome. So, you know, she's she got her time coming. She'll so. be good. Well, we're excited for NFL training camps coming up. We're going to do a lot of coverage throughout, the, throughout that leading into the preseason as well as the regular season. We got basketball coming up. The good part about baseball is the big fights, so... Stick with us on High Low Sports Podcast. We're now on Apple Podcasts as well, too. So if you're not checking us out there, feel free to visit there. And, and be uh, sure to subscribe. Spotify, whatever you listen to us at, click that subscribe button. Help us out. Um, it just looks really good for us, and it helps make your job of finding our podcast when we release it that much easier. Well, that's all for this week on High Low Sports. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.